Let's pray together. Father, we thank you as always for not just the opportunity to gather together as the church in multiple cities, God, but we thank you that the whole reason that we're even able to gather is because of your work in our life, your grace toward us. And God, as we've been talking about this subject of your grace, particularly for the last several weeks, God, I pray that you would help us again today to see and to know and to understand that everything that we are, God, is by your grace, which is you giving to us what we don't deserve. That's what makes it so amazing. And so, God, I pray that you would help us again today to see that. And as always, God, I pray that you would help us to not just see that, but then love it and respond to it, God, because we know without you working in our life, without your spirit drawing us, God, we, we can't, we're not able to. And so, God, I pray you would help us all. Then specifically, God, as always, I pray you would help me to communicate this in a way that is honoring to you and then helpful to us. We thank you for this word. We ask you to bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, we are in Ephesians chapter two. We've been there for the last several weeks. In fact, if you're new to our church, we are just teaching through this book now. I think we're in eight, week eight, or I believe it's week eight. And we will, Lord willing, take the rest of this year to finish out chapters one through three. Again, we're about midway through chapter eight. And then in the new year, we will pick up in four, five, and six after our annual season of Abide. So we're here in chapter two particularly verses eight through 10. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, don't worry, we have it here on the screens. But if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as our gracious gift to you today because we want you to have one. I think it's important for you to not only see what we're, we're preaching through, but if you wanna underline it, or make notes on it, I think that is amazing. But what we're gonna see today in verses eight through 10 is has called probably Paul's best summation of the gospel, where he summarizes in just a few short verses basically everything that he taught in Romans and Galatians, where he kind of built these out bigger. But it really, in these three verses, you're going to see the essence or the core of if you want to understand the good news, that's what we call the gospel. These are some of the best verses to do that. So I've been excited for quite some time to preach these verses just because I get excited, as you'll see. Again, I, I, I love what we're going to see. But I think these verses, more than probably any other place in the scriptures, really helps us to understand how we're saved. And so let's go. I'm going to read verses eight and nine first. Then we'll chat for that for a while. And then we'll close out looking at verse 10. So here we go. Verse eight and nine of Ephesians 2. It says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the phrase there, by grace, through faith, that's the title of this week's message because Paul is trying to help us understand how it is that we've been saved. Because he says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, again, if you were here last week, we talked about this phrase already, by grace, you have been saved. And primarily, what we are saved from is not just ourselves, not just sin, but we're saved from the wrath of God. Again, if you were here last week, if you weren't, you can go and watch that. And we're saved by grace, which God's grace is immeasurable. And when I say it's immeasurable, that means you can't measure it, right? And again, if you weren't here last week, you can go and watch that message where we talked about that's just God takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's a really long way. It's immeasurable. And then I even gave the example of my bad baseball throw from the outfield trying to get it to home base. Obviously, the Texas Rangers are way better than I am. Go Rangers World Series, baby. That's awesome. Sorry if you're any other fan, but I'm, listen, I grew up loving the Rangers, and they were the one team with the longest drought of a World Series, never had a World Series. So let's just have a little bit of favor a little while, all right? Still love the Braves, but I love the Rangers as well. So back to the sermon, all right, that was just a little, little side note, all right? But God's grace is immeasurable. His grace, I mean, the best way I can say it is it outgraces our sin. 
Like your ability to step beyond, which is a transgression, you step beyond the boundaries, God's grace goes further. Again, as illustrated as my ability to throw a ball way over the backstop, which is not the goal, by the way. You're trying to get it to the catcher. And so God's grace outmeasures our sin. So we've been talking about grace for a minute, but there's a phrase that Paul puts in here this week that is new, not new in the Bible sense, but new in this context when he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. And it's this through faith part that I want us to talk about. Like if you're taking notes, here's my first point, very simple, and we'll unpack it. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. If you want a summation of the gospel, that's it. We're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. And all those are prepositions in between those words, and they matter. Because when Paul says, by grace, you've been saved through faith, he's trying to help us see, and I'm going to do my best to explain this to you, how this took place. And this entrance of this phrase, through faith, is showing that faith is the instrumentality. And what I mean by that, it's, it's the tool. But a tool by itself is useless. So think of a tool like a hammer, right? Like a hammer is what you use to hammer nails. But a hammer by itself, can it hammer anything? That might have been the easiest question I've ever asked in church, all right? Come on now. Can it hammer anything by itself? No. All right. Normally, I know we say yes around here, but I set you up pretty easily for that one. All right, Jasper, come on. I know you're with me too, online. No, a hammer by itself is just a tool. So the tool is the instrument. Let's just think of that as faith. But that faith or that tool has to be powered by something. Now, throughout most evangelical churches today, what people would say is the tool is powered by us. We pick up the instrument of faith, and therefore, we swing the hammer, and so that is us exercising faith. But contextually, what Paul is saying here is that instrument through faith is not powered by human will. It's by grace. It's by grace through faith. Because Paul inserts this phrase. He says, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Now, again, if you were here last week, we talked about this phrase that Paul put in last week, by grace you have been saved. It was between two dashes, and I made the point that that phrase was unnecessary to make a complete sentence. But Paul put it in there because he was trying to be emphatic. In the same way, this phrase is unnecessary to make a complete sentence, all right? So you have to ask yourself the question, why is it there? Like it could have read like this, by grace you have been saved through faith, not a result of works, so that no one could boast. That would have been a complete sentence, a complete thought, and it would have been completely biblical. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? No. He says before he gets into verse nine, not a result of works, and this is not your own doing. So you have to ask yourself the question, what is this? In fact, I don't want you to ask it with me on the count of three. What is this? That was all right. Let's try it again. That, now you know what I want you to say. Let's try it again. What is this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now I'm going to answer it, all right? What is this that Paul is referring to? Because he says, by grace, through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Well, what's to this? Again, throughout all of evangelicalism, and when I say that word, I'm talking about Christianity, modern Christianity. Everyone would agree that the this obviously refers to, at one level, the grace. Because I think everybody understands that the grace is not from us, right? The grace is from God. I think everybody understands that. Grace 
is unmerited favor. It's God doing something good for you when you didn't deserve it, all right? So everybody understands from that level that the this is not referring to the grace. But what's in question is, well, does the this refer to the faith? Because here's how most Christians think. And again, I want you to hear me. More than likely, this is how a lot of us think. The grace is from God, but the faith is from us. But Paul says, this is not from you. This is not your own doing. Now, contextually, this is one of the reasons why it's important to read the Bible in its original languages, because you get more detail. Like in English, just imagine it's black and white. It's still true, but in the original languages, you get color. You get, you get some kind of context that you might not have understood, because one of those contexts is right here in English that we don't see is the gender of the words. And what I mean by that is this. Just like in all languages, you have words that have a masculine or a feminine gender. That's just the way language is built. And so these two words, grace and faith, are both in the feminine. They're both feminine. Now, again, I'm not making a statement about men and women. I'm talking about language here, okay? So they're both in the feminine. Well, one of the context clues is to say, okay, well, what is the word this? Because the way Greek would work, the noun and the corresponding, the antecedent here, this, would match in gender. So if it was just one thing and it was feminine, almost always in Greek, the antecedent later would also be feminine, which that way you know it's a context clue. Okay, the this that they're referring to is this noun that matches gender. Make sense? All right, pretty simple. They match. But this word here, this, is not masculine or feminine, which then even raises the question even more. What is the this referring to? Let me say it to you like this. If the word grace were feminine and the word faith were masculine and the word this was feminine, which one would it be referring to? Grace, you guys are smart. You're with me here, all right? I'm not meaning for this to be like a lesson, but I need you to, this is important for you to learn how to study the Bible, all right? So let's switch that. If the word this was feminine and the word grace was masculine and the word faith was feminine, what would this be referring to? Faith. So you're with me, okay? You get it? But here's the conundrum. Grace is feminine. Faith is feminine. This has no gender. It's not referring to either one of those specifically. So you're like, well, what's it referring to? That's what you should ask yourself. Here's what you need to know. Contextually, and when I say contextually, what I mean is in the original language, whenever this happens, the word this is referring to the entire clause that came before it. It's not referring to one of the things, it's referring to the whole thing. So here's how you should understand this. When Paul says, and this is not your own doing, what he means is that whole phrase, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That whole thing is not your doing. That whole thing is not your doing. That whole thing is a gift of God. That whole thing didn't come from you. It came from God as a gift to you. Now you understand in verse nine when he says, not a result of works. So here's what you need to know contextually. What Paul's getting at here is faith itself is not a result of something you did. It's not from you. It is a result of what God did in grace to you. The whole, let me say it like this, the whole enchilada. Now that might be a Tex-Mex way of talking to about the Bible, but I think you get what I'm saying, right? The whole thing. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's the second point. And all of this, all of this, 
is the gift of God. The whole thing, by grace, through faith. Now, the reason why I'm stressing this is because, as I've said many times already throughout this series, there is a modern conception that most people have within churches is that God supplies the grace, I supply the faith. But this verse says, God supplied the grace, God supplied the faith. This whole thing is a gift of God. And the reason why that's important to understand is because it helps us better understand what Paul said in verses one through three. And what I mean by that is this. Paul said in verses one through three, you were what in your trespasses and sins? Do you remember? You were dead. D-E-A-D, dead. You were dead. So let me ask you a question. Can dead people exercise faith? No, why? Because they did, right? Dead people can't do anything. That's why I said last week, you all like, you know, thriller walking around. You're just zombies. Not that you can't do anything from a physical standpoint, but you can't do anything from a spiritual standpoint. You are spiritually dead. So God has to, watch this, by grace, do something so that now you can do something that you couldn't have done before, which was have faith. And this is where I want you to see. I am not saying that faith is not something you do. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you do it, but by grace. Because now you've been made alive. And when you've been made alive by grace, watch this, anything that you do after that point is now powered by grace. Anything, think about the hammer. The hammer is the exercising of faith, but that is powered by God, not you. Now let's go to Colossians, not, yeah, Colossians chapter two. I'll hopefully I can explain this to you even more so because I want you to see the visual that Paul uses here. Colossians chapter two, verses 11 through 14. Now we gotta talk about a subject first that he's gonna bring up and I'll do a quick explanation of it. Verse 11, he says, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him, watch this, through faith, that's the instrument, but watch this, in the powerful working of who? The powerful working of God, not us, God, who raised him from the dead. Now let's chat about this. We'll talk more about this next week because in Ephesians 2 verse 11, Paul brings up this concept of circumcision. But here's what you need to know. From a biblical history standpoint, God called, we actually talked about Abram last week, God called a 75-year-old moon worshiper who could not have children because his wife's womb was dead and he was old. He was as good as dead, the Bible said, to have kids. And God did that to show that it was by grace because they couldn't do something for themselves naturally. So they believed the promise and they are exercising faith. But if you know the story, now Abram is 86 years old, so been walking with God for 11 years now, and Sarah, they have not gotten pregnant, and Sarah comes up with this scheme. It's like, hey, why don't you take my servant and have a kid with her? Bad idea. Which generally speaking, this is good marriage advice, by the way. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's the covenant. And so Abram, I mean, it's his wife that said, he was like, okay, right? Now I want you to see this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this down for you like on the most rudimentary level. And I'm not teaching it because I'm like trying to make fun of it, but I just want you to understand. Because let's just be honest, this whole circumcision thing is weird. Is it not? It's, it's about to get weirder. Just one sec. So Abram has a kid, but not from Sarah, well, duh, as that kid grows up, Sarah gets jealous and kicks Hagar out with, her, with it, uh, Abram's son, Ishmael. And then God comes to Abram 
when his son Ishmael was 13 years old and says, hey, remember I told you, you are gonna have a son with Sarah. And literally, Abram's 99 at this point. You can go read it in Genesis 17. The boy laughs. You ever had God tell you something that was so ridiculous? You're like, <laughs> what? If you haven't, you haven't been walking with God long enough. God tells you to do something that's crazy, like love your enemies, right? Like be nice to that person, just cuss you out. You're like, <laughs> what? That's what happens. Now watch this. God <laughs> says to Abram, in fact, he changes his name to Abraham, changes Sarah's name, and then he says, you're gonna have a kid by her. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go circumcise yourself. Yeah, I said that last gathering, almost every man in the room went, oh. Because if you don't know what that is, someone will explain it to you later, but it has to do with the male body part cutting off skin. So I want you to think about this. God's like, you're about to have a kid a year from now, but I want you to get a knife out. And I want you to cut on that. Why in the world would God tell him to do that? Here's, here's my point of view, and it's just mine. I haven't found many commentaries that talk like this, but here's what I think. I think God was saying to Abram, listen, boy, that body part belongs to me too. You don't get to do with that part what you want to do with that part. That part is made for the covenant of marriage. That part don't belong to you. Think about it. I mean, this is 1 Corinthians 6, right? Anything you do with that part outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, God says, no. You don't get to decide what you do with that. I mean, think about it. And then Abram has to go and he laughs. And then he's like, God, that ain't gonna happen. Can't you just accept this man? He's like, no, because you got that by natural means. You need to know this is about to happen by supernatural means. Then he has to go circumcise his son and all the men in his camp. Can you imagine that meeting? <laughs> Listen, guys, come here. Uh, I was just talking to God and uh, he told me, this is now the sign. <laughs> I'd be like, bro, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> he was 99 and he circumcised himself. Whew. So here's what I think Paul's getting at. He's saying that was the Old Testament sign of the covenant. But now the New Testament sign of the covenant is baptism, which thank you, Jesus. Now all you gotta do is believe in Jesus, be baptized, you can join our church. It makes membership so much easier around here. We don't have to get the scalpel out for nobody. For real, I mean, again. And if you're new, you're like, I ain't never heard a church like this. So this is the Bible. So here's where I'm going with all this. I promise I'm gonna make sense. He is talking about the sign of the covenant. See, Abraham could do an outward sign, but he couldn't make an inward change. He couldn't, because of Sarah's womb being dead, he couldn't make that happen. And in the same way, baptism is an outward sign where you are now identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it's an outward sign to symbolize something that you couldn't do, which Paul says here is actually do a circumcision made without hands, which is your heart. You couldn't change your heart. Only God could by grace through faith. Because then he says this, it was through faith in the powerful working of God. Look at verse 13. And you, this is gonna sound very familiar to you, and you who were dead, in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made what? Alive. God made alive together with him. That's Christ. 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, I just love that. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here's how the visual image of baptism illustrates grace and faith. See, and I can't levitate. It'd be cool if I could, but I would show you this horizontally. Like, you are dead. You weren't bad, right? A princess bride, like kind of dead. You were dead. That's what the Bible just said, right? Said it in Colossians 2, said it in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. So you were in the grave, and this is what baptism is a picture of. You were in the grave. Now, can you raise yourself up through faith? Yes or no? No, why? Because you are dead. So what does God have to do? He has to make you alive. And all of a sudden, you're alive. You're alive. God made you alive. That was by grace. Then you raised up through faith. But that faith that you had to raise out of the grave was given to you by grace. So that faith was now powered by grace. Does that make sense? God now enabled you by grace to do something that you could not have done prior to, which was exercise faith. So that's why it's by grace through faith. This is a gift of God. Now, before you say, well, that's what Paul said. And, and again, people are like, I like Jesus. All right, it's all one. But this is what Peter says, all right? I don't have this on the screen because as I was studying it, I, I, I just thought of another verse and I was reading it and, and I saw this and I just wanna show you the, the remarkable consistency. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three, I'm just gonna read it to you, verse three through five. Again, I don't have it on the screen. You can write it down as a reference, look it up later, see if I'm lying to you, all right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds just like Ephesians 1. According to his great mercy, now watch this, he has caused us to be born again. Who caused us to be born again? He. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable. Sounds just like Ephesians one as well. Undefied and unfading, kept in heaven to you. Now listen to verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now watch this. By God's power are being guarded through faith. So it's through faith, but whose power? God's, God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's what I'm just trying to show you. Your Bible's remarkably consistent. The faith that you had to trust Jesus didn't come from you. It came from God in his grace that enabled you to now have that faith. This whole thing is from God. And here's why this is important. This is just a little side note but I felt this way all weekend to, I wanna say this thing. This is why it's so important to understand this because some of us, I think, have been hurt or damaged in our life with God thinking that if we just would have had more faith, if we would have put in more, then this bad thing wouldn't have happened. And someone may have wrongly told you, if you just would have had more faith, they wouldn't have died. If you would have had more faith then this thing wouldn't have happened and you've been unknowingly carrying around guilt and shame for your lack of faith because you've been told God supplies the grace, you supply the faith. And what they fail to understand, I think a lot of times in those circles is that the faith itself is also applied by God. This is why Jesus said, if you have the faith of a what kind of seed? Mustard seed, which then he goes on to say it's the smallest kind. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying it doesn't require faith. Oh, it does. 
but that faith itself is powered by God. So it's not about the quantity of it that you have. It's about the quality of it and the object of it. Because that faith is a gift of God's grace to you. So I just hope you understand this didn't happen simply because you had a lack of faith. Again, I'm not saying it didn't require faith. But what I want you to understand is the whole thing by grace through faith is a gift of God. Now let's go back to Ephesians 2 verse 10. I hope to show you this again because look at where Paul goes next. He says for. Again, just like verse eight started, for. You know, anytime you see the word for or therefore, you say, what is it? Therefore, right? So he's calling back. So he just said, by grace, through faith, this whole thing is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one could boast. Which again, to the whole boasting thing, that's kind of what I'm talking about, about the quality of faith. Because when you think it was your faith that made it happen, then invariably what you think is, I have more faith, they have less. You're wrong. Because that's you boasting. If you, if you think, man, if more people just had more faith like me, that's boasting. You fail to understand it was a gift. This is why Paul says in verse 10, look, let's read it. For we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. Not our workmanship. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice it doesn't say by good works. We're created for them, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I need you to understand something. The reason why I'm stressing this and the reason why I think Paul stresses this, we'll get into this in the second part of chapter two next week because it has all implication, a lot of implications for how we treat other people. But firstly, what we need to understand is if we don't realize that by grace, through faith, that whole thing, then we actually rob God of his glory, of his workmanship in us. Because what Paul is saying here is we are his workmanship. And this word here, workmanship, is the Greek word poema. P-O-I-E-M-A is how you spell it in Greek. What English word do you think we got from that word? Poem, P-O-E-M, and you would be right. Again, you can do a simple Google search. Look it up on dictionary.com. The word poem, see its origin. It comes from this Greek word, poema, which means workmanship. Here's what Paul just told you. Your God is an artist. Do you ever think about that? Your God's an artist. He's a lover. He's a romantic. And this may sound weird to you talking about God. And again, I'm not trying to diminish his godliness, but I want you to understand something. Your God is a God that likes to use his power to paint beautiful pictures and write beautiful words. But I want to go a step further. He doesn't just write beautiful pictures and beautiful words in the sky and in the scenery and in nature, because Paul's not referring to any of that. He's referring to you. But he goes a step further even than how we normally think about this. Because again, everybody in evangelicalism understands that God created humanity. You know, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. Every human being was created in what's called the Imago Dei or the image of God. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 says. We're created in the image of God. So every, listen, every human being, regardless of their belief system or whether or not you agree with them religiously or politically, has inherent dignity, value, and worth because of whose image they were created in, which is why there is never an excuse to have hatred or racism towards another person because they have been created in the image of God. But watch this. That's not the creation he's talking about here. He's talking about a second creation. When he says created, he doesn't say created in a physical sense. What does he say? Created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. So here's what he's referring to. He's not referring to your physical frame. 
He's referring to your spiritual one. So listen to me. When you stand before God in a mirror, you are looking at the image of God and you should never, you should never look at that image and tell God that he messed up. Which is what we do, right? Amazingly, we spend way more time in the mirror than we do in this book. No wonder we get so mentally messed up because we're criticizing ourselves, but we fail to understand we're criticizing the handiwork of God. We're telling God, your poem stinks. That artwork is horrible. But it goes deeper than that. Here's what Paul's saying. It's not just your physical form that is a result of the workmanship of God. It's your spiritual one too. Your faith, your walk with God is a gift and it is a work of art as well. Which is why if you are in Christ, listen to me. And I know this happens because it happens to me. When you sin, you feel horrible and like you can't talk to God. But when you haven't, you feel good and like you can. Both of those are wrong. When you sinned, yes, you need to confess and repent, but it does not affect the quality of your spiritual life before God because you were created in Christ Jesus. And now if you're in Christ Jesus, guess who God sees when he sees you? He sees Christ Jesus. So when you start dogging your own faith, you're dogging Jesus Christ. Because your faith is an artwork of God. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the handiwork, the workmanship of God. It's created in Christ Jesus, not by good works, but for good works. We'll get to that in just a second. But it was a creation of God, and he loves his creation. And so your faith in God, when you feel like you can't exercise your faith because you've been bad, you need to understand something. You didn't get that faith because you were good. You got that faith because you were dead and God was gracious. So therefore, the quality of your faith is not dependent upon your ability to be faithful, but on God who is faithful to you. And that is a beautiful poem. Can't nobody write a faith like God. Can't nobody spit a lyric like God. And that's you if you're in Christ. Now, why did he do it? Why? He surely didn't do it because he needed you to do something good for him. I mean, those of us that are parents, think about it. You didn't have your kid first because they did something for you because they weren't even there. You did something for them, which goes back to the whole circumcision thing, right? You did something. But when your kid does something good, when your kid succeeds in doing something that you know they were born to do. How does it make you feel? Makes you feel awesome, proud. Because you didn't have the kid for what they could do for you. You had the kid for what you could do for them, which is why you get exhausted because you keep doing a lot for them. But here's the good news. God doesn't ever get exhausted because he's an inexhaustible God. He never gets tired of doing things good for his kids. But why did he create you? Watch this. Not just physically. Why did he recreate you spiritually? He told you. Four good works. Here's the point, and I'm going to unpack this, and then we're going to wrap it up. We are saved for good works, not by good works. We're saved for them, not by them. So again, think about this. You were dead. God made you alive, and when you were alive, you exercised faith. You now could exercise faith. You chose it by grace, through faith. You are now alive. When, when you're alive and you raise up out of the grave, what is your next thing that you do? You walk out. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Lazarus did? They walked out of the grave. Because watch this. If you're dead, it makes sense that you're in a grave. Does it make any sense to be in a grave if you're alive? No. 
But here's where a lot of Christians miss up. They are made alive, but they stay in the grave because they thought they were made alive by their own faith and they thought they're not good enough to get out of that grave. So they keep beating themselves up by staying in a grave of death instead of doing good works because they didn't wake themselves up anyway. God did and God wanted them to get out of that grave. See the difference? Let me say it to you like this. God didn't wake you up out of that grave for you to make your home in it. God didn't wake you up out of that grave for you to go back and keep doing the things that made you dead in the first place. God didn't wake you up out of that grave so you could be a really weird, twisted person and you're just thinking about all the reasons why you're bad and you don't deserve anything good. Does that make any sense for God to make you alive and then you make your home in the grave in the very place he freed you from? That's like God letting you out of prison and you're like, but it feels really good to me in prison. I wanna stay there. No. And here's what's crazy. Not only does God want you to walk out of that grave and when he, this is what he says. He says that we should walk in them. Walk out of that grave and walk into good works. Right? So here's my last point. So get to walking in those good works. Get to walking in those good works. That's what he made you alive for. So get to stepping. But here's what you need to know. God doesn't need your good works. See, this is what a lot of you think. You think that you gotta come to church, you gotta tithe, you gotta serve, you gotta do all this stuff because God wants you to do that. And if you do that stuff, he'll love you more. Anybody here that are parents, do you love your kids more when they do good or do you love them any less when they do bad? No, if you're a healthy parent, by the way, if you're like, I don't know, talk to a counselor because you're wrong, all right? You're messed up. No! Because your love for them was never based on them doing something for you. But here's what you gotta see. God made you alive to walk in those good works. He doesn't need those good works, but your neighbor does. The world does. And one of the reasons why the world is still going to hell in a handbasket, and I don't know why we say it, but it makes sense, all right, is because too many Christians are hanging around in the grave instead of walking out of the grave and doing good works because that's what God made you for. He didn't make you, watch this, he didn't make you to waste your life. He made you to now Leverage the life that he gave you, the breath in your lungs, the brain that you have, and now the spirit of God to want to not just elevate yourself, but elevate other people. Because now God needs ambassadors on the world to help other people understand that God in his grace can save them too. See, that's your purpose now. But see, here's what happens. A lot of us are walking around purposelessness with purposelessness, because we think it was our faith that made us alive anyway. But it was God who gave you the faith by grace to believe anyway. And listen, if he did that, it's because you're not dead anymore. Now, how many times have I told you this? If you're not dead, you're not done. So if he made you alive, you're alive. And watch this. You should walk in good works until you're dead again but he didn't make you alive so that you could waste your life, watch this, living it, doing dead things. One of my favorite, it was a brief stint in the 90s, a rap group had two really hits. A group called Criss Cross. You're the child, you know what's up, all right. They had one that said Criss Cross will make you, you know what I'm talking about, all right. The other one was a song called Warm It Up. And it went like this. There was a hook, a chorus in there. It's two Chris's. Warm it up, Chris. I'm about to. Warm it up, Chris. Anybody know? That's what I was born to do. That's what I was born to do. You're getting circumcision and rap all in one message. Here's what I'm telling you. Walk it out, Chris. I'm about to. Walk it out. It's what I was born to do. Are you living with that purpose of your life? You're like, I was born to do this. Are you still in that phrase? I'm about to. 
I'm about to. I'm about to. What? When are you getting to it? We had this phrase back in the day, and I don't know if you said it where you're from, but in Texas, I used to say it all the time. My mom would say to do something. I said, Mama, I'm fixing to. And she would always respond back because she loved grammar. And I guess she knew I was going to be a preacher one day. She's like, Jason, what are you going to fix? Because it makes no sense. This is why English is honestly one of the hardest languages to learn. If you come to ESL, you would understand that. Because we use words in ways they were never meant to be used. What do you mean I'm fixing to? Oh, that means I'm about to. Why didn't you just say I'm about to? Because I'm fixing to. And I got to wonder, how many Christians are walking around with, oh, I'm about to serve. I'm about to join a team. I'm about to sponsor a kid for Hope for Christmas. I'm about to talk to my neighbor. I'm about to do something good. When I think the Holy Spirit today is saying, warm it up. Because that's what you were born to do. You weren't just born physically to do this. You were reborn spiritually to do this. And we'll get into this in Ephesians 4 when we talk about giftings and the different giftings that God gave us. But here's what I know. God gifted you to do something. And the longer you waste your life not doing that something, you are wasting the very reason why he made you alive. So we need to quit wasting our lives. And listen to me, I'm not trying to be mean, but maybe we should quit wasting our lives playing video games all the time. Maybe, and listen, I'm not against video games. Not against them, still love some Madden. But let me just, just, just do a time log and see how much time you're spending. Maybe that's the reason why your marriage is where it is. Because you're living more in a, in a made up world than a real one. Maybe that's why you're so attracted to digital things. Because guess what? Digital things ain't real. A digital woman don't say no to you. A physical one might. So you got to work it out. Guess what? We'll get, it's a funny. Ephesians 5, I just thought about this. How we're to love our wives. You better walk in them good works. How to submit to your husbands. You better walk in them good works. See what I'm saying? And I got to wonder how many Christians that were made alive by the Spirit of God are wasting their lives because we're not doing the good works we were born to do. And here's, here's the promise. I'll tell you, if you start walking in those good works, you will have more purpose and joy. I'm not saying your good work is my good work because my gifting is different than your gifting, but I need you to understand something. I am well aware that God made me who couldn't even hear and speak correctly to be a preacher. And now, therefore, I preach by grace through faith. And when I do it, I feel his pleasure. Because I know this is what I was born to do. So I'm gonna come every Thursday and I'm gonna come every Sunday. I'm gonna warm this joker up, baby. Because I was born to do this. But you were born to do something too. So get to walking in them. Quit wasting your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, every single person is a product of your grace. God, not only did you make us, but in Christ, by your grace, you remake us. But God, I know there are people here today that maybe they've heard this for the first time. And now they are made aware of the fact that they are dead. You've opened their eyes and now they need to respond in faith and be saved. Because you are being gracious to them right now. God, I pray that you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. But if you want to respond in faith and be saved, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. 
and he raised him from the dead in the same way God now raised me by grace through faith. Forgive me, confess and repent of my sins and I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Again, nobody looking around or talking as we close. If you just prayed to trust Jesus and you're in one of our physical locations, we just simply lift your hand up so we can see that. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a Bible in your hand. Thank you. We wanna help you. But then there are people I know that you've already trusted in Jesus. And again, I know we're talking about complex things where we're talking about how grace and faith work. But I want you to understand something. If God saved you by grace through faith, if you've been made alive, he raised you from the dead, he did it for a purpose. And we can debate about how that happened and that's okay. But we should be incredibly clear that God saved us for good works. He saved us so that we could walk out of that grave and now live our life on mission. That's what we talk a lot around here about life on mission. We want you to live your life on mission because he made you alive for mission. And now when you're living your life on mission, and that can be wherever it is that you work. You don't have to quit your job to do good works. You can do good works in your job, in your neighborhood. Just use those things as a platform. And I promise you, if you do that, you will feel the pleasure of God because that's what he made you for. And now you understand you're no longer wasting your life on things that don't matter because you're not in that job just to make a paycheck. You're in that job to lead somebody to Jesus. And that hits different. There's a purpose when you're living out God's will for your life by doing good works that money could never fill. So I wanna encourage you, ask the Lord, what are the good works he has for you to do? And do them, walk in them. He doesn't need them, but your neighbor does. Father, I prayed you'd help us live this way. Understand that you made us alive by grace, through faith, and now that we are alive, we are alive to do good works. That you prepared ahead of time, before all time, that we would walk in them. So God, help us to walk in those good works. In Jesus' name, amen.